Welcome back to the flip side. Gail and Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz, as we get set to wrap up season two of the flip side podcast. And Brian, uh, you know, it's. Um, I think what I'm most impressed by is that we've had no major character deaths so far in no, this episode, no. in this series. I mean, it's been it's it's kind of unusual. You can tell that the writers from The Wire are not working on our show. <laughs> well, since I'm just starting season three of The Wire, I don't need any more. We don't need to go any further on that. Although that is one of our one of our questions today uh, from listeners. And uh, yeah, you know, I think the writers have kind of really found a solid groove for us as we head season two. You know, I think the short episode. The short season is helping them out. You know, I think not having to do like a full 22 episode season that you don't have that mid season lull. So I think keeping it to a 13 episode, I think it was a smart move by the executive producers. I think they really they, they really kind of get what we're doing here. And I think it's really kind of helped the product. We did. We have some good producers. We really mm-hmm. appreciate the work that they do behind the scenes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a, I take my hat off to them or my yes. hair off to them. Yes. Um, they, they, they do good work. But yeah, we are going to take a couple of weeks off after this week. We both are starting semesters. You are starting next week. I'm starting in two weeks. And um, and uh, yeah, he's yaw- Galen's yawning right now. So it's definitely preemptively uh, tired at this point. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so combining parenthood and academia, we're just always preempt. We're just always tired. And raising um, a puppy, too, who had to get up and- three times in the middle of the night last night. Although I didn't have to. I took him out once out of those three. So. Okay. Who gets up more at this point, the puppy or the baby? Uh, the puppy gets up more. The baby sleeps okay. like a baby, like, but, but nice. in a good way. I, well, I, <laughs> I, I always assumed when they're like, oh, sleeps like a baby, that that was like yeah, that's a positive. And yeah, and then all these parents have said, oh, no, my kid barely sleeps. No, ours is great. Ours like regularly sleeps like 11, 12 hours a night. So. Right. Much like taking candy from a baby is actually quite easy. And sleep, sleeps like a baby is kind of... Uh, it can be a dicey situation. You have not tried to take candy from my baby. She is nope. uh, not no, no. easy to take candy from at this point. Uh, no, in fact, no. it's great my, because the one of the, my, the kid kick, my kid will kick you in the shins before she gives up a, a, a lollipop. So the, the the puppy's like favorite uh, task every day is trying to steal the baby's toys, and uh, she gets like violently angry with him when she when was, there's a couple of toys in particular that he tries to pilfer, and it's just it's not pretty. Okay, well, you got you to gotta establish who's boss there. So, you know, good for Eris to, uh, yes. to, to stand up there. So, so okay, for our final uh, our final season two finale, we, we were kicking around the idea of a clip show, you know, kind of going, uh, since it is the, the dog days of, days of summer, doing like, you know, this is for the college kids who listen to us, which is, of course, a huge part of our demographic. But for the younger, for the younger folks who listen to us, the uh, back before there was like year-round programming and streaming and you know, a, a, an abundance of stuff to watch on TV, you know, they would do summer reruns. You know, the the NBC was very famous for the slogan, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you, uh, which I actually think is really kind of a geni- ma- maniacally genius way to frame reruns. I think that's really good. It's, but uh, would, uh, it's but, NB- NBC doing their best impression of a stopped clock. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> but they would also, you know, shows would do clip shows where it would li- literally be characters saying hey remember the time blah 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 and then they show like a five minute clip from a previous episode it was like the laziest thing but most awesome cosby show did them beautifully i remember that you know the funny thing about because you know seinfeld did them i think friends did the i mean there would there would almost always be one per season and they were always yeah they were always well at the time we didn't care that much because there weren't that many entertainment options out there so people didn't think sure. about it that much but what what always irritated me about those shows because they were tremendously lazy 
right. and, and I mean, maybe there was a slight justification for them in that this was the pre-DVD, pre-streaming era, and unless you were, like, slavishly recording the episodes on VHS, you might have forgotten about that episode. But still, it seemed boring. But what always irritated me was when those episodes would be included in the syndication package. Yes. And it's just like, okay, you know, okay, we, we got a four-episode block of, of Seinfeld that we're showing here on, on right. Tuesday nights. It's like eventually you're going to see all the episodes, and you'll probably see the, clip, the, the episodes that had the clips from them maybe the week earlier, and it's like, okay, right. this, this lost all of its impact, and it's just, right. it's a way to just suck advertising dollars out of me. Oh, absolutely. The only the only one that I, that, that I can uh, let fit is the Simpsons clip show, because they title it, so it's come to this, the Simpsons clip show, and it was completely <laughs> mocked, and this was back in like, I don't know, season three, season four of the Simpsons, it was very early in, early in, early in running, early 90s, so even back then, it was kind of acknowledged as this kind of Nelson's in the house, and he's eating your headphones. And Nelson's getting Nelson, big. Nelson, what do you think of clip shows? <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to eat the microphone in response to that. So that's yes, absolutely, absolutely. Nelson, do you have anything you want to say on the podcast? Nelson's getting big. Nelson's basically he he's he's basically doubled in size from when we adopted him. That's awesome. Yes. So. All right. So, what is your uh, what what is your craft beer for the finale? <laughs> I'm having a Modelo, okay. uh, <laughs> which is which certainly is not a craft beer, um, but it, it we had it in the house, and um, we I'm I'm trying to back off of the beer a little bit. Got to get back into my into my playing weight here for the All start right. of the start of the school season. So, thought I'd go with something light and refreshing and and heavily processed. Well, well, it's good that you're that you're doing that seven days before classes start. It's a well, nice, nice, it's nice preparation. You know, better late than ever. You know, it's um, it's yeah. all about tapering. <laughs> you don't want to you, you don't want to go in the first week, uh, you know, twenty pounds lighter than you were over the summer. You want to go into the first week uh, two pounds lighter than you were over the summer, and then gradually get to twenty pounds lighter by about mid October, early November, and then all the okay. kids are like, oh "My God, what is it up with Doctor Clavio?" <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, they, they're not going to say that about you, but you know, that about me, it's just awkward. <laughs> they say, "What's wrong with Doctor Clavio in my class?" That's just weird. Um, but uh, so I'm going with uh, a, again with my love of session uh, IPAs. Uh, new to the house this week is uh, Ellicottville Brewing Company's Two Brothers Session IPA, hmm. and it is a d- d- session IPA. They, they they advertise on the on the packaging some citrus. Flavoring. I'm not catching a lot of it, but it's a good solid. It's a 4.7 session IPA. Nice, just you know, again, kind of a, a tapering beer. A nice, nice, easy. It's been ungodly hot here the past couple, uh, past week or so. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, ungodly hot and ungodly humid. So nice to have, uh, you know, the the uh, three philosophers we drank over the weekend at a at a part at a party at a campground when it was about 98 was about matching humidity and while a wonderful beer it did not go match the day well so this is something that's a little lighter there's very little there's very few things in the world that go worse with each other than uh extremely hoppy ipas and incredibly hot temperatures they're just they're just not made for each other no no. you know it's um i will say this though the um the I did have a beer over the weekend that was surprisingly good. They came out of the craft dish beer variety. It was a, the Brooklyn uh, Brewing Company mm-hmm. Summer Ale, which I hadn't oh, I had, had before. That. And that was actually pretty good. I, it, it hit the spot with uh, 
we were we 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 fried a turkey in an oilless turkey fryer, and okay. uh, and uh, wait. Okay, I'll let you finish your thought. Then I have many questions. So no, no, no. That that was the story. That that, that, that was that was the beer that was brought over, and it was good. And and um, but yeah, so that was that was so, it. So how do you fry without oil? Well, so it's not really frying. What you do is basically you you take this contraption that uh, I bought called the oilless turkey fryer. Charbroil makes it. They sell it on Amazon, and. You basically put the turkey in a basket. You, you rub it with spices beforehand. You could brine it if you wanted to. And then you, you put the basket in this cooking chamber. And you you hook a propane tank up to it. You turn it on. And then you walk away for two hours. Okay. And you come back two hours later, more or less. And it's at 165 degrees. And you pull it out. And you, you, you slice it. And it actually... It, it cooks very similar. The, the cooking process is similar because it uses a, a superheated chamber where the, 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 the heat from the, the propane is actually kind of sent through this metal um, cooking vessel around the turkey. Okay. And so instead of, you know, in an oven, it'll take, you know, three, four hours to cook a turkey. Uh, the, the whole advantage with turkey frying is that it cooks in like an hour and 40 minutes or something right. like that. Well, with this... The cooking time is is this you know it's that similar kind of low cooking time, but you get the advantage of not using oil, so you don't have to worry about the oil cooling down. So it doesn't right. have it doesn't have the kind of inundated skin flavor that sometimes the oilists uh, or the oiled turkey frying will give you, but it's got some other advantages beyond that. Gotcha. I'm looking at this right now on charbro.com. The big easy oilless. Uh, turkey fryer. Yeah. So it sounds like it's just basically, it, and this is probably mocking it in a way, but it almost sounds like it's like uh, an inverted slow cooker powered by propane for a turkey. Except it's like a fast cooker, but yes. Okay, similar similar idea. And of yeah. course, without oil, you don't have the threat of like creating a turkey rocket that blows up your house. Correct, yes. Awesome. Which, you know, I mean, that, that, I've, I've done a chicken in a turkey fryer before. I've actually never fried a turkey because I normally grill my turkeys, you know, Which is I, outstanding. I, yes. and, uh, you know, and I find with this one, it wasn't, it wasn't quite as moist as I would have hoped. But I think some of that frankly is, is down to, I didn't brine the turkey ahead of time. Uh, I will do that next time, but it was, it was actually really good. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm experimenting with other types of meats. We did some kebabs in there the other day, some meat kebabs. And what we found is it cooked the vegetables perfectly and the meat was cooked fine, but the meat, was you ever had sous vide meat? I have not, but I know what it is. Yeah. So, so for the for the folks out there that don't, sous vide is this method of cooking where you actually you you uh, you, you make an airtight uh, seal around a piece of meat in a plastic bag, and then you cook it in water, boiling water, and it actually cooks it like you can cook it like specifically to the temperature that you want. So, if you want it at like 122 degrees, uh, great, it's going to be there. The problem is. That with sous vide meat, it does not have any exterior like surface cooking. Right, it's, it's just kind of it, so it's it's like cooked great, but it's kind of uh, not appetizing to look at. Right, well, and 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 for a lot of people, like when you have a steak or a hamburger, mm-hmm. you you want the the crusty things that form on the, that Maillard reaction that you get on the exterior of the of the mm-hmm. of the the surface of the meat, and that doesn't exist with sous vide. And it was kind of like that with the kebabs that we did. Um, so we've talked about kind of doing a, a kind of a quasi braise where 
you know, we, we, we char the exterior of the meat for like two minutes aside and mm-hmm. then put it on the kebabs and then right. put it in the thing and then let it cook. I think that might be the, the ticket there. So we're, I'm still playing with it. I got it on sale over the summer. It was like, you know, 75 or 80 bucks, but it's been worth it so far. I've enjoyed it. Excellent. Very cool. So before we get to our, to our topics, um, I do want to do a, uh, uh, kind of a, a, a sort of somber toast. Uh, I got word today that my former sports editor in Binghamton, Charlie Jaworski, passed away unexpectedly today. Um, great, great, great guy. Old school newspaper guy was my editor for five years. Uh, brought me to Binghamton. Had a lot. We had a lot of good people on staff, and it's just just one of those good, just a good guy. Yeah. So um, just want to raise raise our glasses to Charlie and uh, and say thank you. I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, sounds like it sounds like quite a guy. He was, he was, he was a legend. He had been at the paper. I think it was the paper almost 40 years by the time he retired. Wow. Covered the AHL back in you know in the in the slap shot days when um, the, the 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 AHL and the uh, I think it was the AHL. Now I'm going to blank the leagues. Email Gallon, but um, the, the, the UHL, the UHL. It was whatever whatever league was in Binghamton in the 70s and eight in the 70s, which was the prototype for slap shot and it was that le- era of hockey and that kind of level of hockey he covered it from he covered it back then just just great stories maybe and great the, fun. Maybe, maybe it was the ihl but yeah who knows yeah. i don't echl something like that <laughs> um so we do have some great topics from our uh, from our our listeners uh listeners slash um non-listeners slash friends of the sh- friends of the program one of them which was not listed on our facebook but i did want to get get to kind of uh right off the bat uh, because my wife, who doesn't listen to our show, um, doesn't listen to the whole show, she can hear me upstairs, uh, wanted me to talk about the Tragically Hit, my favorite band. I'm going to see them on their farewell tour tomorrow night. They, uh, I think we've talked about them the, the, this tour a little bit on, on, on here. The uh, lead singer, of the, 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 for, again, for anybody who doesn't know, Tragically Hip is a Canadian rock band. Been around 35 years, very much like the Canadian rock band of the past generation. Um they uh their lead singer gord downey uh has been was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer and so they've been doing a very short uh summer tour across canada and we're going they played three nights in toronto this past weekend they are playing in hamilton tomorrow uh where i'm going with my sister and they play their final show in their hometown i believe on saturday and like it's being broadcast live by the cbc and they're viewing parties across canada for it um very excited very very excited for it you know it's one of those things where you always say like biggest rock band in canada and you feel like the scene in airheads were like hey man we are awesome in belgium <laughs> but um but it is it is a very you know the band just means a lot to canadian rock fans and to people in border towns like myself growing up hearing them and it's, I, I think it's just really cool that this is you know They've never said outright that this is the final tour, but the way they're going about it and promoting it, it feels like it's it's the final tour. And it's just neat to when you think about the chance to really say goodbye to a band that means a lot to you, has meant a lot to you for a lot of years. And you know, people who see these shows, they've seen this will be my thirteenth hip show, and I'm way on the low end of big fans. Like there are fans yeah. who've seen it. Um, it's that kind of band, that kind of loyalty on it, and it's just cool to be able to to think that. You know, you never know. You know, there's Dawes has the great uh, line: "May your band's favorite bands always stay together." Right. And, um, and it's just neat to you know. You never know. You know, you think about it. You never know really when you're, you you go see your favorite band if you're ever going to see them again. 
Yeah. And so it's nice to, you know, to be able to, to say, okay, this is it. You know, this is, you know, all, all but assuredly the last time. And that's, that. I, I think that's really cool. And uh, so just for kind of conversation's sake, because I know myself and Patrick Walsh are really your only connection to the hip. Pretty much. But, uh, well, and, well, I remember I, I spent a whole year on a bus with a bunch of hockey players from Ontario. So, oh, so you've, heard the, you've heard them as much as I have. <laughs> um, so what I was wondering is if do you have any bands like that that you would like to see kind of like a, you know, a, a chance to say goodbye to? That kind of that, you know, not just, you know, like to see you one more time or something like that, but like in that really kind of almost personal way that you can say like, you know, your own little speck in the odd, but say thanks and you know, kind of say good, you know, say goodbye to the band. Well, you know, it's interesting. I feel like I got a chance to do that unwittingly. Uh, the Black Crows would be would be an example mm. of this. So, um, when I didn't become a Black Crows fan until like 2002, and they'd already broken up by that point, and then. Okay. And then um, they stayed broken up, and then in but then in '05 they got back together, and it was like pretty much the original lineup minus the bass player who nobody cared about, and right. um, and they went on tour, and I was like, oh wow, this is awesome, and they had like the not the original guitarist, but the guitarist that had become like really famous with them, or with them then when when they had become like somewhat famous, and so I went and saw a show in. In 2005, I think it was 05, at uh, up in up in Indianapolis, and it was a great show. It was like one of the best shows. It was the only show I ever bought one of those like instant live CDs to. Right. You know where you like right. they, they burn it in the, in the basically as you're walking out into the parking lot and you can like listen to it on the way home. Okay. Uh, uh, do you, have you had gotten one of those before? Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't even I, I don't even know if they probably still don't, don't don't still do them because it's like we have the digital age now, but uh, right. But no, they would like you could like pay like thirty bucks, and you could get a copy of the show on on CDR. Basically, right. they would burn immediately after the show, and you just pick it up and go. It was a great show, and like three weeks later, the lead guitarist, who had always been kind of the wild card in the mix, announced he was leaving the band to maintain his sobriety. And okay. I mean, I've seen them several times since then, and they always put on a really good show. I mean, they're no longer active together, but. Um, but it was always interesting because, you know, it was just cool to kind of be like there for those particular shows because it was like the last time that the magic of that group was ever like fully formed. I right. guess. Uh, I think if there's a if there's a currently active band that I would feel that way about, um, and it's not even a band that I'm that passionate about anymore. Uh, but but I mean I still enjoy their music and, and they've got an album coming out here soon. But it would be, be Wilco. Um, oh yeah! Like I, I really, I, I've enjoyed the whole Wilco Oeuvre, or however the hell you pronounce that word. Oeuvre uh, is that how it is? That's how I say it. Okay, so. well, um, and you know, I, I used to go to a lot of Wilco shows. Like, I mean, I've probably been to like ten or eleven Wilco shows if you count festival appearances and things like that. Right. Um, and like we went up, they they did like a run at the at one of the theaters in Chicago a year and a half ago, and we went up for one of those. And you know, so my, my wife enjoys them as well. And and um, I don't anticipate that band breaking up anytime soon. Like they're they're mostly because there's only two original members left, and you know, all the spaces are clearly defined. But 
but if they ever were to to uh, decide to call it a day, that would certainly be a band that I would want to go out and see uh, one last time. Absolutely, yeah, I I, I I could definitely see that. I've only seen Wilco once. They opened for REM on the uh, the Up to Here tour. Yes, it was REM's first uh, tour as a three piece. As it was up to here, so it would have been ninety nine. It was very early in kind of yeah, Wilco being 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 up there in like the uh, in, in the touring realm. So that was a pretty good bill. It's funny, uh, you know. I unwittingly saw Wilco at Farm Aid in nineteen ninety eight because <laughs> uh, it was I was up at Tinley Park, and um, I, you know, I I vaguely remember seeing them, but it wasn't a, a sh- it wasn't a show that like resonated with me to any great degree. Um, and I didn't become a fan of theirs until like four years later. And then I was okay. like, wait a minute, I've seen this band before. But I, I didn't know any of the songs or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, a couple topics. Uh, we have we have four questions from uh, uh, from listeners from Facebook. And uh, I think we had a couple other topics that we had kicked around talking about, too. So we'll see where we are on time. Because I think some of these might be quick. Especially, you know, Zimmerman asked the question, so that'll be quick. Um, I'm kidding. Wow. I know. I know. I'm throwing shade, throwing shade at one of our listeners. One of our listeners. So going to start off. We'll start off with uh, one of my students, Andrew Puglis, a senior to be at Oswego State. If you're looking for a good journalist in a few months, hire him. He's very, very good. Um, okay. So we're going to get poli- we're getting political, which the, which the, which everyone loves. Is Trump's campaign coming unhinged? If so, how much? Manafort and the secret Ukrainian ledger, Giuliani claiming no set successful radical Islamic attacks in the U.S. before President Obama's administration, as well as Mike Pence claiming Mike Pence is the governor of Ohio, and tr- the and the Trump spokesman who, person who claimed CNN that Obama got us into Afghanistan. Wow, that was, the wow was his comment. So um, I think yes, his campaign's clearly coming up unhinged. I would say. I mean, what would I mean? I, I guess the degree to which this—I um, don't even say it's hurting him because he's getting slaughtered in all of the polls right now. I guess for me, the interesting question is: is is there going to be that kind of expected rally to where he kind of makes a little something up and starts to get everyone nervous? Like, is this the point in the basketball game where it's like? 18 points early in the second half and somebody's going to make a run to get it to nine with about four minutes to go and it just makes it a little uneasy or is it going to stay 18 or is it like go to a 40 point game because i feel like that's where we're at we're like at that 18 16 minute just about the under four the under 16 in the second half and it's like an 18 point game yeah i mean first of all the idea of whether the trump candidacy is coming unhinged i mean to some degree it would have had to have at one point been hinged <laughs> i mean like I, I feel like we, we need to keep that in mind uh, i'm getting a drink while i do the podcast yes. here it's a, multitasking it's a lacroix it's not an alcoholic beverage <laughs> so don't worry um you know look i i almost feel like things are going better for trump than they should be right now and, and i say that from this perspective like there's just every day, and I kind of feel like media, particularly particularly media who seem to have a vested interest in wanting to, to make sure that Trump's candidacy meets a, an ignoble demise, I almost feel like they're doing their efforts a disservice right now because they're piling so much 
negative news on on top of negative news when it comes to Trump's campaign that it's actually desensitizing people to the actual negative news that's coming um, out yep. about Trump's campaign. That, yeah. You know, I mean, the Manafort stuff today is fascinating. I mean, but if you've been paying attention to the campaign, we knew Manafort had some shady connections with the Russians. Like this, this right. was like this was nothing new, really. I guess there's some kind of a financial connection, but it's like it just kind of it's it adds a slight touch of color to a painting that we'd already fully seen painted. Right. Um, you know, and with all this other stuff, I mean, it's funny because I feel like I don't know what else Trump could do at this point that would be viewed negatively. Uh, like, I mean, what what else could he say or do at this point right. that would significantly decrease the number of people that are interested in, in voting for him? Right. Uh, I don't have an answer. There might be something. I mean, I guess... I. I don't know. Just it, to some some degree, it feels like it's it's gotten as bad as it's going to get. The coverage has gotten as bad as it's going to get. Um, which I would be a little concerned if I was the Hillary Clinton people because she's had a great couple of weeks. I mean, she had a great convention bounce, and the bounce hasn't gone away. Um, and you're right. You know, it does kind of look like it could be one of those forty point blowouts, but we haven't had one of those from a popular vote perspective since. Uh, well, okay, electoral wise, sure, but I mean, if you're talking about, but that's that's almost impossible with the way that the electorate's been polarized. Even if Trump, um, I guess, what I look at it is, you know, Trump could pull thirty eight percent and still get like one hundred and fifty electoral votes. That's true. Um, what I, but I mean, you know, Nate Silver had a piece that was interesting where he was like, you know, no. No presidential, no, no, no top two can, or party candidate has gotten less than thirty five percent of the vote since nineteen twenty four. Right, um, and and that's in play. You know, now yeah. the the chances of that happening, I think, are are low, just because you know between the all these random hacks that keep coming in relating to to Clinton, and and then now you know the Democrats in, in the Senate and the House just got all their their stuff released out there by some hacker. It, it feels like people are out there like trying to take Clinton's campaign down to some degree. Right. I would be surprised if she just kept extending and extending her lead. I feel like there has to be a bit of a correction at some point here. I don't yeah. think I don't think it's enough to throw the election into doubt, but right. I, I just I don't see it getting completely out of hand. I yeah, I, I I mean the only way I can potentially see that is if they actually hold debates, which is still up in the air, and like Trump is just continues to be like Trump has been, and you put him on the stage and it's a two person debate, which it looks like it's going to be. It doesn't look like Gary Johnson's gonna hit the he still might, but it's still a wild card whether he would get on stage. Um but if he, if it's the two of them on stage and Trump is Trump and Hillary is Hillary, like standard operating procedure as it's been I could see that even tipping it further because that's the oh my god the the, compar- the comparison of the two side by side literally side by side I think could be stark enough and I think Hillary could easily goad him into saying I don't know what specific you know there, he's always going to have his percent who he could literally shoot somebody and he would still get a, a certain percentage of votes but I think that um, 
I, I think that would um, hurt it. I think what's in, what's interesting, and I'm not. This is not a unique point of view. I've seen this a few places, but you look at what Trump is saying, where he's talking about the election being rigged, and there's no way I lose Pennsylvania unless it's rigged, and blaming and going on his anti-media rant over the uh, over the weekend, which is really funny considering Trump is basically a media machine. Um, like. He's he and he said in a couple interviews like if I lose I have a comfortable life I have a good life like he's basically already seeding doubt like not so much conceding but basically like well if I lost it was rigged and the media was against me and he's not really throwing it but he doesn't seem to be I mean he seems to be lining up all of his reasons why he's not going to win and get and, and kind of establishing them early I do find it interesting. And I don't know. I'm sure this is just because the noise of Trump and all his all this stuff is so loud that it creates such a vacuum that it drowns everything out. It's almost like a supernova blinding everything else. I haven't, you know, it seems like the Clinton campaign is very much playing ball control right now. To use another sports metaphor, like they're really like they're, I'm not hearing much of what Hillary's saying or doing, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the opponent keeps shooting himself in the foot. You, you let him keep shooting himself in the foot. But, you know, I, I do wonder what's going to happen. The course correction could come, you know, in three or four weeks when it gets in the middle of September and, you know, the the elite political media gets tired of writing the story and now starts to write the what's Clinton doing to earn, to win the presidency story or something like that. And, you know, some attention gets pull, pulled back that way. I could, again, I don't think it's going to sway the election at this point, but you can kind of sense that narrative kind of coming at some point, I think. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a weird setup. It really is. Because I think that, you know, when you get right down to it, the the presidential election is, it's this is this very much seems like a one-off. Like, this is... Yes. Like, Hillary Clinton's not leading any sort of grand coalition of, of ideological interests that's going to survive, you know, into 2020 or 2024. Mm-hmm. Trump, you know, it's weird. Like, all this talk about, well, if I don't, you know, if I don't, we don't win in Pennsylvania, then then it's, the obviously, the election's rigged. I mean, a lot of people went way out of their way to be like, we need to be taking this sort of talk seriously, like, and, you know, not let Trump get away with it. And again, it's like, it's, it's what we've talked about on this, this, uh, podcast earlier if this was a guy who was legitimately trying to form like his own political movement Mm -hmm. like if this was like a lyndon larouche type or something like that or you know somebody who was like legitimately trying to build a like a group of people who were going to be his supporters for a future election i'd be very concerned about that sort of talk when it's Trump, it just kind of comes across as like something that it struck him in the moment to be good to, to say, like something that right. there would be red meat he could throw to that particular audience, and then he just moves on and forgets about it. Um, right. So, like, and, uh, and it's also sorry to cut you off there, fine. but it's also like nothing, nothing really new. I mean, it's it's a little starker language, but you know, let's be honest. What have the Republicans been doing for eight years? What was the whole birther movement but a delegitimizing Obama's election? And yeah. to some extent, before that, the Democrats delegitimizing Bush and, and and how he was elected. And again, very different circumstances. Email Galen with your problems, but you know it, it's very much a uh, very much kind of a since two thousand really, and even probably the I was a little too young to really follow the the first Clinton election. But like, it's very much a you delegitimize the winner, however you do it. And this is again, this is nothing new. It just seems like Trump is kind of more 
blunt in how he's going about it rather than kind of the more political route that's normally taken on this. Right, yeah, and that's that's why, I mean, I think people people in the political media are aghast at the, the kind of directness, I guess, that's being utilized in this, and, and yes. they're, they're using it as a kind of an example of, you know, the Republic falling or something like that, and in reality, it's just a, it's a schmuck talking like a schmuck in front of a bunch of people who are, like, caught up in a moment of some sort that I don't think any of the people that are outside of that group really fully understand or, or care to understand. So, you know, I, I choose to not be too concerned about it. I, I still don't think, you know, it, it's, it's really odd. I mean, you know, the, the Republican national committee is talking, I guess, behind closed doors or, or not even that to reporters now about the possibility of basically telling downstream Republicans to like distance themselves from Trump right. talking about, you know, funding those races as opposed to funding Trump. You know, we're still not totally out of the realm of possibility of Trump not being the the Republican nominee for president. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not a given at this point. And and I think that it would not, it would not surprise you if tomorrow he said, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping out of this race because it's rigged against me and I can't win and I'm going back to my business thing. Right. Like, that would not be a shocking development, no matter how CNN plays it. It would not against us. And frankly, this is where, and I think you bring up a really interesting point, this is where Hillary's ball control strategy could end up backfiring. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, let's say this happened around Labor Day. You know, okay, so huge shock. I might, I, I don't, it might be the first time in history that a major party's changed candidates like two months before the election. You right. bring somebody in, they start just like hammering ideas, ideas, ideas. They start hammering you know, the, you know, the, 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 the problems that Clinton does have. And suddenly it's like, okay, well, we weren't expecting that. What do we do next? And, right. and look, I mean, the, the unpopularity of Trump and the buffoonery of Trump are masking, you know, the number of people who don't want to vote for either, but will vote for Hillary simply because that means that they're not voting for Trump. You take that out of the equation and it's a completely different election. Well, and the scary thing is for Democrats, I think there'd be a lot of cheering and like, oh my God, thank God Trump is gone. Thank God he can't be president and all that. But all of a sudden, let's, you know, as a thought experiment, I don't know if this would happen, but let's say it's September 5th. He drops out over Labor Day. They don't bring up Mike Pence, because uh, you, you don't automatically move up. It's not <laughs> that's, a. It's that's, not, yeah. that's that's not a guy that's getting called up from the minors. I'm no, sorry. No, no. He, no, no, he is going to be your your AAA starting pitcher for <laughs> for this. But let's say all of a sudden they decide to nominate. Well, they're not going to nominate Cruz. He torched that. But let's say they nominate a guy like Kasich, John Kasich. All of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden everyone who's not voting, who hates both of them, but is going to vote for Hillary, and now is going to take a second look at Kasich who doesn't have now all of a sudden he's going to look incredibly moderate and he's going to look you know sane and again that's not a high bar to clear but i actually you know i actually think too and and it's the season finale we can get a little political i think that um you know again i'm not tenured so take this with a grain of salt (laughs) but i do think that um you know for the Democrats to really score a full win on this, and you know, my personal beliefs kind of mirroring theirs, is that you you need Trump to get beat at the at, 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 in the election, and you need him to get actually beat pretty good. Yes, there will be the sour grapes of the media didn't cover us; it was rigged. All this blah 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 tinfoil stuff. But I think that if anything else happens, if he quits, then it then what's going to happen is you're you're the the you're not going to have that the the voice of the racism the 
the misogyny, the xenophobia, all the kind of things that Trump is really playing to. I think that that you know it will never go away. I'm not saying that it will ma- magically vanish and we will be a united nation. That's not going to happen. But I think that if he bows out or something like that, then I don't that then. Those voice that then that's not a, a, a defeat of that. You know, D- am I making sense on that? Like, I know what you're saying. I know what yeah. you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I think I think to some degree, if if that's what Democrats are worried about, not just winning the presidency, but defeating that element of society, um, then that's a poor strategy for the general election. I mean, really. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, um, you, you're never going to truly defeat. That any more than you know, Republicans in the in the seventies and eighties thought that the culture war was going to defeat hippies and 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 right. leftists and communists. I mean, it just that I think to some degree a lot of that stuff's been magnified, and you know, and I do think that um, it's it's been blown up into a much larger problem than actually exists in terms of. Um, you know, I a lot. I read a lot of things in what are relatively mainstream, you know, ma- mainstream news sources where it's like, well, you know, if you if you support Trump, then you're a racist, and and you you support racism and all of this, and and that's it's an overly simplistic uh, analysis. I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people support political candidates that they don't agree with uh, a lot of right. things on, but they support them because they're a in the party that they are always voting for, and b because they're not the opposition's party. And right. and so, you know, I I don't know like what the actual situation is out there. I, I do feel like um, there's a tendency, particularly in the social media age, to amplify the extremes. And that's so that those end up being the things that we see and we extrapolate that that must be what it's like everywhere. And that must be how right. people actually think. And, and I think that that's dangerous, particularly in this sort of a situation, because I I really do believe that uh, the people that are out there supporting Trump at this point. Yeah, there's a lot of racists. There's a lot of of uh, people who haven't thought a lot of issues particularly well through but i also think there's a lot of people who just vote republican and would never vote for hillary ever uh and that and that ends up being you know the 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 majority of those people in that in that particular plurality i yeah it's i mean it 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 becomes kind of interesting to watch and especially now where we kind of have this weird you know almost three months until the election and you know until there's debates really nothing happening right so it's this kind of weird kind of news vacuum where you know um i i, I do love i always kind of close out the thread i do love uh, all of a sudden that uh trump is hating polls when that was literally his entire primary primary candidate uh primary pitch was i'm doing well in the polls but now they suck that's awesome right. so well, there's, right. no, there's no logic to any of the stuff I, I, no, of that's the thing it's like i think it, it, everybody seems to be looking for like logical threads w- within what Trump has to say. And it's like, it's not going to happen. And, and, you know, and it's like to some degree constantly pointing out that there's no logical threads doesn't help. Yeah. It's like, it's never going to get there folks. Right. So, all right, moving on to our next uh, topic. And this is from non-listener friend, friend of the show, Steve Gatine. Um, should Manchester United play a four, two, three, one or a switch to a four, three, three that better suits Paul Pogba. Yeah, Paul Pogba. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they should uh, switch to the four three three because I think that that better suits Paul Pogba and I think that will really help them. 
That's uh, they're very soccer. very insightful. Soccer. In, yeah. soccer talk by Brian. We really need to, we, we really need to get you invested in the Premier League. It's <laughs> it's you would you would find that you would find both the games and the narratives to be quite compelling. But I uh, absolutely, I'm sure I would. But I but for the time being, I will let you. Uh, I will save the rest of my time on Manchester United uh, uh, line up to you. <laughs> I, I will say this: I think um, that it would certainly be logical to play a more um, a more a more fluid 4-3-3 formation uh, with Pogba in the lineup, particularly when you've got Zlatan in the lineup as well. And um, but I don't, I don't see them doing that. Um, and you know, Mourinho has his he does so well when he's managing his teams in a way that prioritizes defense and then allows offense to be generated out of the, the chances that that will generate. And I feel like um, if there's one thing that we've seen, it's that it's dangerous as a manager, particularly at a top club, to change your tactical setup simply because of one player, uh, mm-hmm. even a very, very good player. And I think Pogba, while he certainly has um, shown an affinity uh, for that sort of a lineup, I, I get the sense that the Premier League is going to present some some unique challenges that Serie A did not. Um, mm-hmm. So a little bit of a backstory here: Pogba was a Manchester United player, um, and you know the way that I think we've talked about this before: the way that the the player transfer setup works uh, in in soccer. You know, he came up with. Um, the Manchester United Academy, uh-huh. and then at the at, basically he was deemed surplus to requirements. He was let go by Alex Ferguson, uh, didn't sign a new contract, and signed with Juventus, which is one of the top Italian clubs, arguably the top Italian club. So they basically let him go for nothing, uh, and they recently signed him back for a transfer fee of 105 million euro. Okay. Uh, which is the biggest transfer fee in the history of world football. Hmm. Um, and so there's been a lot of joking about how, you know, in four years he went from being somebody that Manchester United deemed unnecessary to somebody that they had to pay the largest transfer fee in world history to get back. But he's a very, very good player. Um, but you know what? I, I would say... Mourinho should stick with what he knows, and um, and I'm sure he'll be able to find a spot for Pogba in that. And you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Mourinho with uh, with with this level of offensive talent, um, and 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 from the looks of the first game, talent that looks like it wants to do stuff out on the field. Uh, I'm curious to see what ends up happening. All right. Um, do you want to plug your soccer podcast while we're while we're talking soccer? Yeah, listen to the Drop Zone. It's on iTunes now. Uh, we talk mostly Premier League. We've talked some other stuff here um, on and off. We've only done like four episodes, but uh, but yeah, me and, uh, and Zach Osterman. Um, we try to do it every week. Uh, we had our preview episode up this past week. I, I picked Manchester City to win the league. He picked Manchester United to win the league. So we'll have to see what happens with all of that. Excellent. Check that out. All right. Sister, friend of the show, actual listener, Amy Moritz, uh, tragically hip concert mate, too. Was killing off of James in good times unnecessary? I'm going to let you handle this one first. All right. Um, my, my, my in-depth research into this, which, of course, means reading the Wikipedia page because um, it's never wrong. James, who was the father on, on good times, was killed off after the third season of the show. 
Um, and my, 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 again, my understanding from Wikipedia, which is never wrong, is that there were a lot of conflicts with, uh, the, the, the Jimmy Walker mm-hmm. and he was a very, uh, the, the show apparently I have, I have seen, I am very limited in my good, my actual watching of good times. Um, but the show was set up for the, for the mom and the dad to be kind of the breakout stars and Jimmy Walker with dynamite kind of became the star right. and, uh, conflicts behind the scenes. And he didn't like, like working with Jimmy Walker and, and the direction that the show was going. And so they killed him off after the third season. And, uh, the show ran three more seasons after that. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it was unnecessary because yeah. I feel like, you know, they could have worked something out there. So, um, we, we, you can talk good times or we can do it. We can spin it kind of big picture. Is there a TV show character that you would either want to wish had or, or actively cheered for to be killed off of a show? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I will say on the good times front, I just heard a podcast where they were talking about, not that as issue, but the, the issue of how the show changed because it went from being, you know, a sitcom that was also trying to deal with social issues in the black community at the time right. to, um, you know, to kind of an ancillary character, Jimmy Walker's character, suddenly becoming like really popular among audiences and then deciding, as you mentioned, to refocus the show around that because people were, were, they, they were paying attention to it, um, which it's always interesting when when uh, art takes that sort of a turn uh it's hard to predict how like how how a show's going to go i almost feel like uh things are are too scripted these days from the from the get-go like to some degree it's like we already know what's going to happen even three or four seasons down the line i don't think they had an idea back in the 70s but um Ooh, as far as characters I would have liked to have seen killed off, that that's there's a lot of potential for missteps here. Um, <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, I mean, is the is the whole cast of Friends asking too much? Like, would, is that probably because that would you know probably end the show? Well, I mean, you know, there are always positive byproducts. I mean, <laughs> so so okay. One example to kind of get you thinking on it, and. Uh, so my my wife and I watched Grey's Anatomy back when it was super uber popular, like the first run of its popularity. It's like still on, months. isn't it? It's still going. I was amazed when I saw that it's, it's like, still on. It's like the gun smoke of the 21st century. Seriously, it's like that in The Simpsons at this point. <laughs> um, and uh, there was one episode, like a three-episode arc where – Meredith Grey, the lead character and the, the the title character, she dies. She like drowns and like one of those things where you technically are dead and come and they bring you back to life. And we were both actively cheering for her to actually die. And so we realized that the show had gone off the rails when uh, your your main character, your title character, is one that we both want to see dead. Um, so that that's one of them that would that, that that comes to mind very early is uh, Meredith Gray on Grey's Anatomy. Again, email Galen with your complaints on this. Right. Um, <laughs> I love how I became the complaint department. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of a good example of like a sing, a singular character that needed to be killed off for the good of a show. Um, I was I was never a big fan. Of so in the eighties, for those a lot of you were too young to remember the eighties, but they were always like there was always like one whiny character, and their purpose was to be the whiny character, right? And, and it was almost always like the middle daughter 
and so Stephanie Tanner, Stephanie Tanner syndrome. From right. Florida. But I, but I love Stephanie Tanner actually, you know, like that she, so, but no, I'm thinking more like, and I can't remember the name, but like the blonde sister on family ties, um, not just Tina others was the actress who no that's okay yeah, not yeah not Justine Bateman's character but but Tina others yeah. character like like she just kind of whined a lot the whole time and there was there was very little depth I felt bad it was like the character I mean it would have been sad if a member of Family Ties had died I mean they tried to kill off my tried tried to kill off the father at one yeah. point but he ended up coming back um, so that it would be somebody like that like her or or like. Um, Oh god, there was another one that I um, Tracy Gold's character in, yes, in Growing Pains, and Growing Pains would have yep. been another one that was just right. like, like you're not really doing a lot for us as far as the show's concerned here, because you know that I and I feel bad to some degree for even saying that, but it's like you know we're in a much better era now, television wise, than we used to be, and it's like mm-hmm. it's amazing to me, uh, particularly in the '80s. And early '90s, like there was a lot of schlock that w- was passed off as like good sitcoms, and it was just yes. it got progressively more derivative as time went by. Right, um, and and that you know, that, I feel like you know they did some pretty groundbreaking stuff in the '60s and '70s with those shows, and and there weren't a whole lot of really groundbreaking shows once you got up to the '80s and '90s level. Right, uh, Jennifer Keaton was Jennifer the other Jennifer Keaton, even even. Um, um, Lisa Bonet's character on the Cosby Show filled that same kind of whiny role, not as yeah. much, not as yeah. much, but it was she like went back and, she went back and forth with Vanessa uh, as the as, right. as kind of the whiny, the whiny Cosby kid. But they, and the, the, what the Cosby Show benefited was from was just having a you know I know Bill Cosby everything that's that's going on. It was the eighties. This was it was the, 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 the of time. Okay, and it was such a strong, strong, you know, such a deep cast that you know. You could have the whiny character, but then you still had several others kind of filling the void. So right. it wasn't as much. But yeah, you had the Jennifer Keaton. You had your oh, what well, I have to look up. What was her uh, Tracy Gold's character's name on on Growing Pains? It was we had that we had a trivia. While well, you look this up, we had a trivia question at the at the tap here in town like about a month ago, where uh, you know it's like a you know it's like a, a twenty point bonus question at the end of the first round, and you had the name at least four members of the Seaver family, uh, nice. like their character names. And I was like, we, we got all four of them, but it was just like, it, it was like grinding there for a little while. Right. Uh, Tracy Gold was Carol Seaver. Carol Seaver. Which is, Carol yeah. Seaver. Yeah. So you had Dr. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Jason Seaver. It's Jason Seaver. Maggie Seaver. Maggie Mike Seaver. Seaver Mike Carol Seaver. Seaver. Ben Seaver. Yep. Chrissy, Se- Chrissy Seaver. And cousin Luke Bauer in season seven played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That's that's a wild little feature of that yeah, show right. that people have forgotten about. Yes. Um, so uh, our our final uh, listener question of season two comes from a friend of the show and longtime listener Matthew Zimmerman, who is the best Star Trek captain, and I feel like he's setting us up here somehow. Um, I only know two, which means I'm probably missing a bunch. So is this, so I know Kirk and I know uh, Picard. Okay, those are really the only two that matter. Okay, I mean there are other there are other captains. I mean he's talking about you know some of the the other shows like you know Deep Space Nine, right. uh, the captain. Oh, what the hell was the name of the captain in that? Uh, um, Benjamin Sisko. 
right. was the name. Not to be of confused it. with Benjamin Seaver. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, Star Trek Enterprise. Um, the the captain's name was Jonathan Archer. That was the one that was played by Scott Bakula. I don't know if you ever okay. saw uh, that one. Um, and then I think uh, in Star Trek Voyager, it was what the hell was that one? Uh, Captain Janeway. That was Kate Mulgrew's character. Um, oh, I didn't know she was in that. Yeah, yeah. Now, now best known for uh, Orange is the New Black, I believe. Yeah. Thing of the same person. All right. That was, uh, yeah, and you know, like, that was, it's funny, because Star Trek Voyager lasted seven seasons. Uh, so, like, you you know, you missed out. But anyway, in my, and there were some other ancillary captains, you so, know, like Captain Styles from Star Trek Three. Uh, you know, pe- people like that. Anyway, go ahead. I. So my Star Trek knowledge is extraordinarily limited. Right. Um, I'm, I'm you, Scott, okay. it, your no, your, your cultural Trek. assignments are soccer and Star Trek before right. season three. Sure. Okay, that's fair because I'm. I, I well, I've always been the Star Wars guy and not the Star Trek guy, and I know they're not mutually exclusive. I was gonna say, why not both? I don't know. Um, never. I don't know. Um, okay. don't, give, don't give in to hate, Brian. <laughs> hate leads to the dark side, which leads to the Enterprise. I don't know. I, I I will say I've seen both both the J.J. Abrams reboots of the Star uh, of the Star Trek and enjoyed them immensely. You know, as not a Star Trek guy, so I I don't get caught up in you know the the minutia of, of the storylines, but just as an entertainment, as someone uh, who knows enough about the characters to know like who Spock is and who Kirk is and, and all that. I thought I found them very entertaining, which gave me a lot of confidence leading into star Wars episode seven, that it was going to be good. I'm going to go Picard as the best star Trek captain. Um, and I, I, I don't really have a solid reasoning for it. I, I think that the, the character of Kirk is wonderful. You know, the, uh, the Kobe, Kobayashi Maru is kind of such an iconic character thing. Um, but I'm I, I'm a huge Patrick Stewart fan. I just think I, I think he he really gives a character like that that certain kind of uh, ravitas, kind of like power. Um, you know, he's got the got the faceplant meme, which is you know kind of an iconic move. And it takes I will say it's a good captain. I, again, I don't know their stories enough, but I just feel like. You have you have next generation of Star Wars, so you're basically replacing an already iconic character in Captain Kirk. Like Kirk is already kind of in that in that, that sci-fi pantheon of characters, and now you're introducing a new cap a, a new character, and to even get that level or potentially exceed him as a level speaks greatly to the to the depth of the character and to the performance. So I'm gonna go by a narrow margin. I'm gonna go Picard, and wow, I don't know what I'm talking about here. So. You know more. You know more. So let so so uh, make your, make the case for me. Wow.
Sure. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, fair point. And I looked up uh, the entire run of the original series and Next Generation appear to be on Hulu. On uh, that is, I'm doing my math correctly, 255 total episodes of TV. So you're saying I have three weeks, about two or three weeks, to catch up on this.
Please do, yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you're going to be reading all eight Harry Potter books and watching all well, all eight movies at the, at the same time, too. So, you know, our, our, our pedagogy may suffer, but it's for greater good. <laughs> An autoethnography auto of cultural consumption and job loss. It is. So, so that that is, I believe, that is a formal wrap on season two. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 Probably not. It, it's always a good time. This is this is you know one of the highlights of the summer. Highlights of every week is is doing the podcast. It's fun. NFL season starts on September eighth. With hey Panthers Broncos, that's a fun matchup. Um, wonder why they picked that. Wonder why they picked that one. That's gonna be a bloodbath. Oh my god. Um, but uh, so we will probably be back probably sometime that that first full week of September. Uh, classes will be full session. We'll have football to talk about. Uh, our, our special NFL preview edition. Um, which we can talk about how the bills are going to be terrible again. And, uh, and yeah, so as always, you can find this, this week in all show notes and past episodes at, uh, sportsmediaguy.com on the flip side tab. And, uh, you can find us on Twitter. If you have ideas for what to discuss over the next couple of weeks, let us know. We'll try to remember them for our next show. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. See ya.